Chapter Nine of Through Glacier Park: Seeing America First with Howard Eaton by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine: Down the Flathead Rapids. The trip was over. I had seen such things as I had never dreamed of. I had done things which I intended to relate at home, but I had caught no fish to amount to anything. On a Monday night I was to take the train east. On Sunday came great tales of the Flathead River. But I had only one more day. How was it possible? It was possible. Everything is possible to those Westerners. I could put on my oldest clothes and fish the Flathead for twenty miles or so the following day under the guidance of one George Locke, celebrated trout sleuth. Then, rod and fish and all, I could take the great northern eastern express at a station and start on my three days journey home. I did it. I can still see the faces of the people in that magnificent club car when a woman in riding clothes, stained and torn, wearing an old sweater and a man's hat, and carrying a camera, a fishing rod, and a cutthroat trout weighing three and a half pounds, invaded their bored and elegant privacy. The woman was burned to a deep cerise. She summoned the immaculate porter and held out the trout to him. He was very dubious about taking it. Thereupon the woman put on her most impressive manner and told him how she wished it placed on the ice and how the cook was to fix it and various other details. It had been a day to live for. The Flathead River does not flow. It runs. It is a series of rapids, incredibly swift, with here and there a quiet pool. Attempts to picture the rapids as we ran them were abortive. We reeled and wallowed, careened and whirled, and always the fisherman guide was calm, and the gentleman who engineered the party was calm, and I pretended to be calm. At the foot of each rapids we fished. I was beginning to learn that twist of the wrist that sends out the line in curves and drops the fly delicately on the surface of the water. As I learned, so that he did not close his eyes each time I raised my rod, George Locke told of the Easterner he had taken down the river some time before. He wanted a lesson in casting, he said, and I worked over him pretty hard. I told him all I knew. Then after I told him all I knew, and he'd had all the fun with me he wanted, he just stood up in the bow of the boat and put out ninety feet of line without turning a hair. Cast? He could have cast from a spool of thread. In a boat behind us was a moving picture man. For weeks he had always been just behind or just ahead. When the time came to leave the West, I missed that moving picture man. He had come to be a part of the landscape. I can still see him trying to get past us down those rapids, going at lightning speed to gain some promontory where he could set up his weapon and catch our boat in case it upset or did anything else worth recording. He had two pieces of luck on that trip. I had hooked my first trout and was busy trying to throw it in the boatman's face when it escaped. He caught me at the exact instant when the triumph of my face turned to a purple rage. And later on in the day, he had the machine turned on me when I caught two trout on two flies at the same time. Incidentally, I slipped off the stone I was standing on at the same moment. He probably got that, too. 
I caught twelve trout in as many minutes from that same rock and furnished the luncheon for the party. I took back loudly everything I had said against the fishing in Glacier Park. I ate more trout than anybody else, as was my privilege. If there were nothing else to it, I would still go back to the Montana Rockies for the fishing in the Flathead River. At noon we stopped for luncheon. The trout was fried with bacon and coffee was made. We ate on a little tongue of land around which the river brawled and rushed. From the time we had left Lake McDermott, we had seen no single human being. Mostly the river ran through tall canyons of its own cutting. Always it looked dangerous. Generally, indeed, it was. But never once did the boatman lose control. It reminded me of the story Mark Twain told of the passenger who says to the pilot something like this. I suppose you know where every hidden rock and sunken tree and sandbar is in this river? To which the pilot replies, No, siree, but I know where they ain't. The train swung on into the summer twilight, past the ruins of old mining towns, now nothing but names, past brawling streams and great deep woods. The large trout was cooked and served. It had been worth the effort. There were four of us to eat it the moving picture man, the chief ranger of the park, the gentleman from St. Paul who had engineered the fishing trip, and myself. At Glacier Park Station, my wardrobe, which I had not seen for weeks, was put on the train. They do you very well, as the English say in the West. Everything was pressed. Even my shoes had been freshly polished. A crowd of people had gathered at the station. My supper companions left the train. There were many good-byes. Then the train moved slowly off. I stood on the platform as long as I could and watched the receding lights. Behind the hotel rose the purple-black silhouette of the mountains, touched with faint gold by the lingering finger of the sun. Stealthy coyotes had taken advantage of the dusk to creep close to the track. A light glimmered from a tent on the Indian reservation. Flat, treeless country— a wagon drawn by tired horses, range cattle that were only shadows. Then night, and the east. The end. End of chapter 9. Recording by Laura Victoria. End of Through Glacier Park, Seeing America First with Howard Eaton by Mary Roberts Reinhardt.